Welcome to Coffee with Curtis, your home for quality business conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Robert Curtis. Welcome to the podcast. Joining me this time is women's health and menopause expert, Jacqueline Rose. Describing herself as a passionate women's health advocate, Jacqueline is an educator and coach for women journeying through the menopause. Our guest is on a mission. She says, my life is now focused on changing the women's health conversation, changing assumed narratives and busting stereotypes. And we are delighted to have her on the podcast. Jacqueline, welcome to Coffee with Curtis. Thank you so much, Robert, for inviting me. I'm very excited for our conversation. Very good. Well, so am I. This is definitely um, a conversation that is not in my normal wheelhouse, shall we say. I was thinking as we came on air that I don't know how often you have a menopause discussion or podcast with a man. Yeah, so I think it's um, really, really amazing that you are stepping up to this conversation and you have decided to embrace it. What I will say is one of my proudest moments is when the husbands of my friends come to me and say, so how's menopause going? <laughs> and that for me is a big achievement because this is obviously a women's health issue, but it is not only a women's health issue. This is an everyone issue because if you are... Um, married to a woman, have a mother, have a daughter, have a sister, or work with a woman, this is something that you need to be aware of, interested in, observant of. Um, so yeah, obviously we want, I am passionate about educating women, but I really am passionate about getting the message out to everyone. Amazing. Well, we're going to focus on that latter point that you mentioned there about women in the workplace and how all of us, not just men, but um, everybody who is in the business ecosystem can understand this topic more in depth because actually it has a huge impact on the way that women operate in business. Um, I think for, for myself, just being totally honest, um, I would say that growing up, I wasn't really aware or even in my early career of really what women's health meant, periods, what that meant for women, how that impacted them day to day, um, yes. and certainly not the menopause. That was definitely not on the menu of conversation any time until very recently. And so um, we're really excited to be able to have this, this conversation with you. And uh, I think it'd be good if you just give a 360, Jacqueline, on who you are and how you ended up getting so into this particular topic. Well, thank you. And firstly, you are not alone in not knowing about these issues because unfortunately, many women don't even know about the issues that they themselves are you know, going to experience throughout their life cycle. And doctors also, and we, we can talk about that, about the medical field in general and how it has very much over the years underserved women and women's health issues. Um, and you are correct that the menopause conversation specifically really was a non-conversation until about three to five years ago, where it has really, really come wow. much in, much more into uh, sort of the public discourse. Um, so a little bit about me. I am um, a married mother of five, and I very proudly say I am 48, soon to be 49. Um, I always mention my grandmother when I say my age, because my grandmother, until you know she passed away at the age of 91, she would always say how old she was, because she said, I am proud of every year that I have lived and proud of all my achievements. So why would I say, I'm 21 again? So... <laughs> Um, and also it puts me, you know, in the demographic of women that I'm working with. And I want women to know that I am going through it as you are going through it. So, um, yeah, so that is sort of my uh, bio in terms of the technicalities. I entered the women's health space um, about nine years ago. I had a previous career um, in the environmental space. Um, but about nine years ago, after having baby number five and after going through um, a health journey with our eldest daughter, um, I decided I wanted to do something totally different. We'd also come back from two years of being um, on Schlichut in Atlanta. And, um, and as a result of 
sort of all of those things, I just said, I need to do something for myself. Um, and I decided to train as a yoga for pregnancy and birth teacher for a whole bunch of reasons, which I won't go into now. But one of them was I'd been pregnant, you know, a number of times I'd had given birth five times. I sort of thought, okay, fine. Like I know what this pregnancy and birth thing is. And I was always, you know, a practitioner of yoga and yoga runs in my family. My mum practices yoga. My grandmother practiced yoga for years. My aunt does yoga. So I, I, you know, love yoga. And I just thought, okay, fine. I'm just going to do this. It was five months that changed my life because I realized that I knew nothing about my body, nothing about being pregnant, nothing about giving, giving birth, even though I had done it. And even though I am a woman and these are things that we just assume you know. Um, but it was then that I realized that immediately I had a mission and I had a message that I had to share with other pregnant, you know, pregnant women and especially newly pregnant women. And I started working straight away. And that was pregnancy and birth is not the way that you see it on TV shows. And it's not the way you see it in movies and it's not the way that you hear about it, um, the horror stories or the medicalization. And it was really the first time that I began to realize um, how to think about women's health in a slightly different way. Um, and as a result of that, I trained in yoga for women's health. I'm also trained in therapeutic yoga. And then I went more into women's health from a more integrative functional medicine perspective, which is a slightly different approach um, to health and well-being. Um, if you're familiar with functional medicine in the UK, it's called lifestyle medicine. Um, and I'm trained also in hormonal health, menopause studies, yoga for menopause, functional nutrition, a whole bunch of things. But basically it was something that I never had you, you know, said to me 10 years ago, this is where I would be today. Um, I would probably would have laughed at you. Um, but I have become very passionate about really, as, I, as you said, changing the women's health conversation, the way that we understand it, and especially working with women to help them understand their bodies, connect their bodies differently, and help them get the answers that very often their doctors are not giving them or they're not hearing. Um, and this really has cemented itself in the menopause space because as we said, the menopause conversation was a non-conversation. Now it is a big conversation, but there are so many um, myths, um, assumptions, stereotypes, and now that there is more information out there, making sense of that information. Very, very interesting. And, and what an amazing career journey. And um, I think also your passion is just beaming through in terms of the, <laughs> the work that you're doing. So uh, I think that's a, a lesson in itself. And uh, we're all, uh, always in search of, you know, doing meaningful work. And I think you are um, obviously spot on here for 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 educating all of our listeners first of all yeah. let's just get some definitions down and some understanding of what is the menopause okay so i'm gonna get a bit biological and then i'm gonna get a little bit woo so i really like to combine <laughs> okay. the sort of hard grounded sort of reality i my degree is in economics and geography so i sort of have like the very hard facts of you know life but being in the women's health space, I'm very much into sort of the woo side also. So bear with me a little bit. The pure biological definition of menopause is 12 period free months. And menopause is that thing that we all hear about. However, there is this new, which is, you know, I put in inverted commas, new term that is now much more in um, uh, public discourse, and that is perimenopause. Perimenopause um, is this phrase and this stage that so many women are totally clueless about. And dare I say, so many healthcare practitioners and doctors are clueless about. Again, it's changing, but um, perimenopause are the years leading up to menopause, that 12 period free months. You hit the calendar, 12 months have gone by without a, a menstrual cycle, pop the champagne, you're now in menopause, and you basically enter post-menopause pretty much the next day. But perimenopause are the years leading up to menopause. It is all that journey of what we call menopause symptoms, these changes, sometimes you can't, they're so subtle you don't even realize what's going on. Physical, emotional, cognitive, brain function changes that is happening in perimenopause. 
Perimenopause can last a long time, anywhere from two to 11 years. And that is really women wow. in their 40s who are going through things and they sometimes it's obvious um, and sometimes it's the things that we know about, such as brain fog and hot flashes. But there are between 50 and 75 different ways that menopause symptoms can show up. And we'll talk about what that means for women in the workplace or women who are juggling work life, who have kids or doing whatever. We'll get onto that conversation, but just for the terminology. And then postmenopause, if you ask me how long postmenopause lasts, postmenopause really is until you die. It is that next stage of your life. Into, for today's modern woman, that could be a good 40 years. Um, and as part of the work I do with women is not only to help them navigate and manage and treat their symptoms during perimenopause, but it's also asking the question, especially for today's woman, how do you want your postmenopause years to look like? Because today a woman can be working in her 60s, working in her 70s. We think of some big names in all different areas of culture, media, sport, politics. There are older women there leading you know, trailblazers, leaders, positions of responsibility. So a woman in postmenopause today, and that's one of the myths that we bust, is not old, decrepit, irrelevant, deteriorating, and just waiting to die. So that's sort of the biological, sort of more um, hard definition mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. what menopause is. Just a couple, a couple of questions on that before you, you go into the other definition. So first of all, am I right in assuming that at some stage, all women will go through the menopause. The veracity or strength, I'm not sure the, the, the right term, of the menopause will be different for each woman. But what you're mentioning there in these 50 to 70 um, symptoms of perimenopause are that if it's lasting for that length of time, even two years is a long period of time, then these show up, particularly in women in work, in different ways, and they're masked by something else. It's, oh, I've got a health issue here. I'm going to the doctor for this. And they're not spotting it. You're having to say to your employer, or if you're, you're, you're a business owner yourself, as a woman, these things are showing up in different ways. And this is a discombobulating period of time. You are spot on. So yes, every single woman is going to, as part of her life cycle, we have milestones in a in a woman's life cycle. We have puberty, the start of our menstrual cycle. We have fertility years. Whether you choose to have children, are able or unable to have children is irrelevant. They're still called your fertility years. And then we have perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These are milestones. And it is irrelevant whether you um, biologically, physiologically give birth to children. That is irrelevant as to whether you will or will not go through menopause. Every single woman is going to go through menopause as long as she went through puberty. So yes, this is something that every single woman is going to go through, but you are correct that the um, extent to how her symptoms impact her, how debilitating her symptoms are, the range of symptoms she has, um, how they show up, is, a, is different for every single woman. And that's why for some women, it can be quite difficult. And a woman who is 42, who all of a sudden isn't able to focus as well as she used to be able to, is sitting in a meeting at work and it's like she's losing the train of thought. She's not thinking at the age of 42, this is perimenopause. She's thinking, oh my goodness, I've got early onset dementia. I better go and get my brain function right. checked out. And that is what is happening because a woman who is 48, 49 may expect certain symptoms. But again, the symptoms that she expects versus the reality of how menopause shows up may be very, very different. Um, I will tell you so far, I'm blessed. I have not had any hot flushes. I'm going to be 49 in the summer. People may be saying, oh, so you're not menopausal yet. But I am in perimenopause because I have other things that I can identify that I, you know, with my strategies and with the way that I work with women, I am navigating. But women assume that menopause is going to show up in certain ways. They've heard about the typical or traditional menopause symptoms. And if they don't have that, or if they're the wrong age category, they aren't figuring out what's going on. And the biggest 
problem, unfortunately, is that they will go to their doctors. And I am not here to bash the medical healthcare system, but Western medical healthcare system um, is fantastic. And I heard um, a phrase that I like to use, Western medical healthcare system is heroic, life-saving life saving medicine. And my family has been the beneficiary of that heroic, life-saving medicine. However, Western medicine was not, or the Western healthcare system was not designed with a focus on women's health issues, and it was not designed for preventative, proactive health and well-being. So women will go to their doctor complaining of brain fog, low energy, mood swings, lack of patience, um, not being, you know, just really not feeling like themselves. And I can't tell you how many women come to me saying they have been they've been prescribed an antidepressant by their doctor. 42, wow. 43, 44, 45, the word perimenopause never exits their mouth. And they are automatically prescribed an antidepressant. And women come to me saying, but I've never been depressed in my life and something doesn't feel right and it doesn't make sense. I've listened to what you've said and I think maybe I'm perimenopausal. So, and this applies for women in the workplace because women in the workplace, as we know, um, after years and years of fighting for our, you know, equal rights, equal recognition, we are now in leadership roles, top roles. We have worked hard to achieve, you know, our careers, and at the age of anywhere between the age of 42 to 55, women in the workplace are turning around and they are fighting to stay at the top level, basically fighting the biology of their body to stay at the top level, even though something has changed. Overwhelm. How much are we hearing about overwhelm, burnout, stress, juggle, balance for women at that stage of life? purely because they don't realize what's going on in their bodies. So so on that point, I think that's a really, really important point that, you know, women have finally gotten to the correct position within the workplace to be equal. Yes. But yet we also put on, I think, therefore, and maybe we need to unpack this, unrealistic expectations because the bottom line is, and maybe I'll be shot down for this, <laughs> men and women are different and this is rooted in biology and so the okay. things that we expect of women are are, are different they're going to have as you've mentioned you've got the you know the years of fertility and having periods that has an impact uh, these are milestones these are women's careers who will be disrupted because of biology when they have a baby only women can okay. have children. So yeah. that's going so to be an this is a very, And then we're talking about yeah. the menopause later on. Yeah. So this is a very, very nuanced conversation. And we have to be careful how we're phrasing it and how we're framing it. Because um, on the one hand, I agree with you. The feminist movement, um, in a way, has done a bit of a disservice to women because the feminist movement and people call me anti-feminist and I'm anything but I am a very very strong feminist but I want women to take ownership of their bodies so two things I want to say about what you've said because we've got to be careful with the language that we use around this topic so on the first point the feminist, the extreme feminist movement has definitely done a bit of a disservice to women through things like the contraceptive pill, through things like um, sanitary uh, support, tampons and things like that, that allow a woman to function 30 days a month at the same level. Um, but as you correctly said, and again, we've got to be careful how we phrase this, Women are hormonal beings, and I'm very, very conscious and very, um, for me, it's very important to stand up and say, I am proud to be a hormonal being, rather than how the hormonal debate has often been used as derogatory or discriminatory against women. You're hormonal, you're being hormonal, all that sort of misogynistic language we have to be very careful about, not to use it in a... Um, discriminatory way but yes a man's home a man has a 24 hour hormonal cycle and a woman has a 28 or 30 day 
hormonal cycle. So yes, we are biologically different. Nothing you can do about it. Yes, we have the ability to have children. Nothing we can do about it. The question is whether it then leads to discrimination or not. And that I think is the nuanced difference that today we are in a society where hopefully more and more there is less discrimination against women because they are women. Um, and so, yes, we need to understand and embrace, and that is why women uh, menopause in the workplace is now a very big conversation in the UK. Guidelines, training, support, what does that mean? Because, for example, a 50-year-old woman who can't sit in a meeting because she is having hot flashes and needs to leave the room, or a woman who is having irregular cycles now, and irregular cycles in perimenopause can show up as very, very heavy bleeding. And she just can't be in the workplace on that day that she's got a really, really heavy flow, allow her to work from home. Again, not discriminate, but understand that a woman who is 50, who has worked years to achieve the professional level that she has got to and is respected, but needs to leave a meeting because she has a, is having a hot flash and to sit in the meeting is just going to be uncomfortable for her and probably 90% of the men in the room with her <laughs> to understand what that means. How do we make space for a woman in that situation? How do we embrace her, support her and not say, you know what, you're not turning up for, for work days. You're not functioning in meetings. You're not able to achieve, you know, you're not able to run your team anymore. We're going to have to fire you. There is a statistic in the UK that says a close to a million wow. women are leaving the workplace because of menopause that is pure discriminate gender discrimination but that's that's as a result of us not having flexibility in the system of equality we're saying everyone be equal and with that comes yes. a whole ton of baggage that actually doesn't reflect yes. the reality of yes. the two genders in the yes. workplace yes but an extreme feminist approach would be women and men are equal in every way because the pill has allowed us to have autonomy over our body when we choose to get pregnant. Tampons have allowed us to have autonomy over our body that we can function 30 days of the month without any limitations. But at that same time, as a woman's health advocate, for me, that is creating disconnect between the woman and her body. And it is not actually serving the woman in the long term because all of a sudden we come to menopause and the woman isn't functioning and she's fighting to stay on top and she's fighting to stay at her CEO level or CFO level or COO level. And, it, and it's just not working for her. Not because she is un incapable of doing her job, but things have changed for her. She needs a cup, she needs some support. And then post-menopause, you watch that woman fly because post-menopause is when everything starts to change for the woman in a positive way. And I think maybe if you'll just allow me just to go back to the other definition that I have of menopause and the other definition of menopause, it's a bit woo, uh, but for women, um, it really is the journey, the process of becoming their true authentic self. And it is understanding the role that perimenopause and menopause plays as a bridge to postmenopause because post-menopause is where women start having all the fun. Confidence, wisdom, life experience, um, the ability the, in, in, in our 2023 world of financial independence for women, women being able to do things that they were never able to do 50 or 80 years ago, professional career growth and development. As I said, think about the women in leadership roles in arts, entertainment, sports, media, politics, things are now changing. Um, that Im image of Margaret Thatcher or Angela Merkel as these tough, strong, powerful women, they were pioneers of their generation. Now we have people like Jacinda Ardern and, and um, um, brain fog, uh, Camilla Harris, who are now, you know, the next generation of women leaders. And, and what does that mean for us in terms of women, our life cycle journey, and what post-menopause represents for us and society? Because you're now going to have strong, 
vocal, vibrant, confident women who have the ability to stand up and say things. I think what's interesting is what you're saying is there is this first, call it 50% of life for a woman that is hormonally and biologically set to have these milestones that all relate to puberty, fertility, and then perimenopause and menopause. But actually, that post era of menopause is where, um, as you say, they become themselves. And that's why the benefit in the workplace can be exponential during those years. And I I think what's interesting, just a, a, a crazy, a crazy tidbit is that I researched that no other, other than the one of the whale species, no yes. other female animal in the world has yes, a has, menopause. Yes, yes. The whale is the only other um, uh, mam- mammal who goes through menopause. Um, yes, you said, as we've sort of been uncovering, that post-menopause, the post-menopausal woman, you wouldn't want to meet her in a dark alley. So why would you... <laughs> Why would you then let her go? Why would you fire her or retire her at the age of 50, 55? When really you should be supporting her because just wait till she gets into postmenopause. Um, and I think that we need to be thinking about that as supportive, inclusive, diverse work environments. Um, and it is about ageism in general. Um, You look at television, television is very, very ageist. We know things are changing, but it is about ageism in our Western culture in general. But I think things are changing. I think people are beginning to realize that um, you don't need to turf someone out, male or female, but tends to usually be female once they become 50. Um, And I think that is relating to understanding what that menopause journey is and what it means for the woman. So when it comes to, I guess, educating the workplace around this, have you seen any, I guess, early success stories of how um, the organisation can embrace the changing nature of how we handle women's health, particularly at this stage of their their, their lives, and, and how we then harness that to go forward in terms of policy and flexibility and organisational infrastructure? Yeah. So, yes, the UK is a pioneer in this. And the UK, um, it, it's not equal globally. Um, Europe is always more advanced when it comes to um, healthcare and inclusion and women's health. Uh, Europe was giving maternity leave for men and or women years before anyone else was doing it. So I'm just going to leave Europe on the side a minute. Um, The UK is an absolute pioneer in menopause in the workplace conversations. It is, um, there is the menopause um, friendly accreditation. I think that's what it's called. The menopause friendly accreditation, which is now giving um, accreditation to Um, workplaces that are implementing menopause-friendly strategies. Um, HR departments are getting involved. There are companies in the UK that really are embracing this new um, menopause trainings, menopause support, menopause flexible working space. Um, There is a a lawsuit that has been brought by a menopausal, well, by a woman who was... um, um, sort of, you know, forced to leave her job because she was going through perimenopause. Um, there is more government legislation. There is the menopause advisor to the UK government. More and more is happening in the UK. And there are examples in the UK of UK companies that are adopting these menopause guidelines and strategies to make it a menopause friendly workplace. In the, in the US, it is happening but it's not big business yet at all. And the US, mm-hmm. whether you are familiar with or not familiar with, I'm sure plenty of your listeners who are either um, living in the US or are familiar with the US workplace, it is ha- it has very traditionally very, very low healthcare standards in terms of support. Women get very little. Again, it's changing. I don't want to say, you know, 100% across the board. It is changing. 
but uh, women get very little uh, maternity leave. There was a little paternity leave. Um, so it is, the conversations are beginning to happen. Um, I just saw a news piece recently, I think it was on CBS News um, about um, the changing dynamics in the American workforce. But the American workplace is traditionally an unfriendly healthcare supportive environment. Um, in Australia, things are happening a little bit. In Israel, very, very little, if very much at all. Um, in terms of menopause and the workplace support. Um, and I've spoken to women in the workplace in Tel Aviv high tech. And unfortunately, Israel, which is a very inclusive and diverse work environment when it comes to LGBTQ support, is actually less supportive when it comes to women's health. And women in the Israeli workforce still do um, have this, um, attitude that they still need to fight and prove um, their worth in the in the workplace. So it's very interesting in Israel because of the inclusion of LGBTQ versus uh, gender inclusion. It, it's a very interesting dynamic here in Israel. Um, so Israel, I would say, with respect to women is still quite far behind. But if you want to look at the success stories and the, you know, leaders, it really is in the UK. So interesting. Well, we're both uh, originally from the UK, so we can give ourselves a pat on the back for that somehow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think what's interesting is, you know, when talking about America, which is, you know, naturally a, a very conservative Christian rooted society, or here in Israel, yeah. which is, you know, in the Middle East, it's a very religious society in some respects, yeah. not always. Um, you know, when it comes to talking about women, sexuality, sex, female body, female health issues. This is like taboo on the in the top yes. three. And yes. you know, that's outside yes. of work. So even more so in the workplace where, yeah. you know, you have different dynamics with people, men who really don't want to talk about these things because they're not empowered with the language, the terminology or the confidence, um, yeah. as well as, as you've pointed out, women also not being fully educated in the journey that they're having themselves. What, what yeah. do you think are strategies that maybe women can bring themselves to um, talking about this either with their, their management or if they're in a leadership role themselves, how they can bring that into the workplace and maybe be an advocate yeah. for it, an activist for it within their own company. Yeah. So as I said at the beginning, I think if you are a man, you are going to have a woman in your life in some way, shape or form. And I think that um, the men need to start being able to stand up and support. It, it's similar to the Me Too movement, but I don't want to make any, you know, God forbid equations with the Me Too movement. But part of the growth and the support of the Me Too movement were the men in the workplace that turned around and said, we will stand up and support you and we won't stand for this. So women have to, um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't actually see it as a bad thing. We need to expand this conversation and we need to start having the conversation. As you correctly said, part of the challenge is that women themselves don't know what is going on in their own bodies. They don't realize that when they are having mood swings all of a sudden, or they are losing patience, or they are just feeling so low energy, and they just can't even imagine, you know, having to show up at a board meeting, it's not for any other reason than biology. And to figure out what women want for themselves to learn the language, we need to get empowered ourselves first. That is 100% the first step. But the second step is we then need to bring in our colleagues into the conversation. We need to bring in the people around us, the people in our lives into the conversation. That's one of the things that I um, talk about a lot with my women is having the language that you can then go have the conversation with your partner about what's going on. Um, a great example is I have a few clients who have said this, my partner is totally on board, my husband is on board, he's with me, he gets it. It's my children that don't understand why I don't wanna cook dinner every night. And that is fascinating. And I would sort of extend that out to colleagues, family, whoever it is. You may all of a sudden have become educated and empowered yourself. And you may be having that conversation with your partner, with your spouse, with your husband, and you may be together. 
but I have a few clients who have said to me, my 18 year old has turned around and said to me, why am I losing out? Why aren't you making dinner anymore? What's going on here, mom? <laughs> and so it is, it's, a, it's an intergenerational conversation. It's an intercollegiate conversation. It's a conversation that we need to be having, but we need to have the language. We need to know what's going on in our own bodies first so that we can explain it and that we can you know, involve others and also say what we need. There may be times in, and again, as we said, perimenopause, menopause are predictable monthly cycles become very unpredictable. We can turn around to HR and say, and especially now because of COVID, there is more flexibility in the workplace. I need to work from home today or I need two days. We, we are very into mental health. That's what's also fascinating. The mental health conversation is massive 100%. now. But women's mental health, as it, as it sort of relates to perimenopause and menopause, no go, because we are not um, embracing that part of the conversation. Um, one of the, some of the work I'm doing now is with therapists and it's um, menopause informed therapy. Um, and I, because I believe that without understanding women's health, without understanding our hormones, without understanding this perimenopause journey and how it impacts so many areas of our physical, emotional, cognitive, and spiritual identity, it is impossible to understand what a woman is going through. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it, it, it is on us to empower ourselves, to give ourselves the language and the understanding of what's going on. But we then need to spread the word. We then need to get other people on board and our male partners need to be open to understand that because if they want to support us in our life journey, this is part of our life journey. And I think the example that you, um, you highlight there about mental health is a, a very, very good one. I, I know in the UK, I read an article on this that, you know, yeah. women who are having their periods can now have certain a number of days off to enable yeah. that. That is very, very recent. So, yeah. you know, coming coming on board only with that now shows you the yeah. journeys that unfortunately there still needs to, to take place yeah. to get to that, that level playing field. Yeah, I want to bring up, um, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if your listen, listeners remember, a couple of months ago, there was a woman who tragically died in the UK when she fell into a river. Or, yeah, she yes. fell into the river. And there was a conversation, it was a tragic story, and there was um, a good twist to it and a bad twist to it. At some point, the local police revealed that she was struggling with perimenopause. Um, and in the days leading sort of around that, sort of reveal, um, there was, and I know because family members in the UK sent me links to articles and I got a phone call, listen to LBC now, they're having a menopause conversation now. It, it opened up a massive menopause conversation about how does perimenopause and menopause show up. So whether the police was right or not right, whether she was, you know, part, part of her um, death was, um, perimenopause was involved or not involved is irrelevant to, to our conversation now. What is important is that it brought up how many different ways menopause shows up. And the reason why so many women are prescribed antidepressants is because it shows up as anxiety, depression, overwhelm, mental health challenges, cognitive impairment. That is the reality. It's not for every woman. And I don't want anyone to think, oh, if I don't have depression, I'm not perimenopausal. But in some cases, that is how menopause shows up. And there are some very famous um, people in the UK who have talked about their menopause experience, about not being able to get out of bed for three months. Um, so when we're talking about mental health, and perimenopause and menopause, again, I don't want to say, and we've we mentioned this at the very beginning, every single woman's menopause experience is going to look different. It is based on a lot of different things, um, but be aware of the possibilities of how it can show up for you. And that if you are struggling with mental health issues around the age of 45, 46, 47, and you didn't really have this in your earlier life, and it's impacting all areas of your life, especially your work. Maybe you're not crazy. Maybe you're just perimenopausal. And then we can start 
relating to your treatment, to your health journey from a very different perspective. How, how though, do you think that people are able to cross the conversational Rubicon when it comes to the workplace? So, you know, I work in traditionally high performance, sales driven, marketing driven industries where there's targets and there's numbers and you've got to hit a certain type of revenue. And let's just say someone on the team or uh, give an example from from my own world, maybe I'm advising a team of salespeople and there are women in that team who I'm coaching who maybe aren't hitting their usual performance targets how do how do we as managers leaders coaches cross that conversational rubicon as i call it to bring this into the dialogue because it is it is sort of like difficult i'm not sure i'd feel that comfortable right today saying look can i just ask you mary um you know you're of an age that perimenopause is happening are you seeing any impact in this in your life because I want to understand holistically is this affecting your work and how we can support you okay so I'm going to put you on the spot what you just said now would be what I hope every single manager would say but if Mary came to you or rather Mary didn't come to you but you as a manager you as you know you know, in, in a position of, of, of responsibility in your company and your members of your team Mary who's 47 is not performing. But Mary, who has been in this job now for five years, six, seven years, has always been doing pretty much quite well. And she's on your team and you've never had a reason to question her or to judge her. The last six months, you notice she hasn't been performing well. What would your initial gut response be prior to our conversation? Uh, The gut response would be something's wrong with Mary. She's not hitting her targets something else might be going on in her life that I don't know about. Maybe she's looking for a new job and is quite quitting. Um, yeah. You know, all of those you, things. I wouldn't naturally yeah. jump to, to menopausal questions. For sure. And you shouldn't naturally jump to menopause because you have no idea. She could also be going through a divorce. She could also be struggling with a sick child. She could be struggling with, with a sick mother. You have no idea. I would hope you would invite her in for a conversation. And being a hopefully enlightened male, you would say, Mary, I've noticed that over the last six months, things have changed. What's going on? You are, a, you know, I, I would hope rather than that traditional, very judgmental, which is exactly what you said, which would make sense. But really you have no idea whether it's perimenopause, whether she's going through stuff at home, whether 101 things could be going on in her life. So the first thing is having that conversation with her in as open, safe environment as you would be able to have. And then say, you know, I actually have become educated myself. This is what I'm putting words into your mouth. I've become educated myself about women's health and perimenopause because I work with women and I know this is a real thing. Are you familiar with perimenopause menopause? Have you looked into that? She may not even know herself what's going on. And that's what I want you to really be thinking about. You're now an educated male in the world of women's health and menopause. (laughs) Mary may actually even not be, especially if she's not living in the UK, because in the UK, I sort of feel there's a menopause conversation happening everywhere, in every cafe, in every pub. I think I'm exaggerating the situation a bit, but it's very possible that she doesn't even know herself what's going on. She just knows she's embarrassed because she's not performing the way she used to. So what's going on? So I would hope that you would assume you have no idea what's going on, but that you would invite her in for a conversation and you would ask her, what's happening here? Can we support you? Because what happens if she's just going through a divorce? You would want to be supporting her also. And you by the way, you know, yeah. this isn't this isn't just women related. It's the normal conversation to have with anybody. With anyone who's not performing. 100%. 100%. This is so interesting, Jacqueline. Um I think there's so many areas that this could uh this could develop into as a as a podcast series almost. I think as we sort of start to wrap up the the episode, what would you say to first women in the workplace in 
really being able to articulate their menopause or perimenopause um, journey and, and how to show up in work and, and bring this to the table. And then a, a, a final question on how to get companies thinking in this particular channel of women's health in, in work. Yeah. So I think firstly, and this is my mission, is you women need to become empowered, educated and proactive about their own health journey. We can't expect men or anyone else to do that work for us. So we need to know what's going on in our own bodies. We need to understand our own bodies. We need to get the information that we can. We need to talk or work or listen to people like myself. There are menopause coaches. There are so many menopause podcasts out there. Get yourself educated. Know what's going on in your own body. Listen to your own body. Notice, mm, I am beginning to notice there are changes that I wasn't paying attention to. I was just pushing through it. So as women, we need to get informed, educated, empowered, and proactive in our own health journey. Once we have the language and we have the information, we can then go share that. Um, and that may mean having a meeting with an HR head. It may mean having a meeting with a team leader. It may mean, you know, inviting, asking if you can do, there is um, women's health days. I know that, you know, there are this month, that month, there are all these different, you know, days that we celebrate in the workplace. And, and there is Women's Health Day. There is Menopause Month in October. Um, there are opportunities to invite speakers into your workplace. Start with that. Start with the, the speakers. Start with getting someone in to the workplace to just have, and not for women only, a, you know, for the whole workplace, start to, you know, how many times are workplaces looking to, in, you know, to bring someone in for a fun day or this day or that day, you know, women's health conversations should be up on that list also. Start bringing in people, start doing training, start doing workshops, let the conversation become an open conversation so that if you are noticing changes it's not going to be this really weird random bizarre conversation that you need to have with your team leader who doesn't even know what you're talking about who is looking at you <laughs> like you're absolutely crazy and is like sort of bumbling and say uh, okay fine like if you need the day off take the day off like but that's not what it's about it's not about just having a day off it's about having a policy a supportive environment again for all the diversity and inclusion for everyone that you're working with we're talking specifically about women and women's health, but I would hope that companies realize they need to have, you know, a more inclusive, diverse, safe space for whoever it is that is that is working for you. I, I, th I think what you said is, is spot on. I think, you know, companies, you know, that I've worked for or work with now in, in different capacities, they do have many of these, you know, workshop days for uh, racism, LGBTQ, uh, mental exactly. health like you said there is no women's health monopause day um, exactly. and I think you know you're you're well placed to go into many of the uh, companies certainly here in Israel if not around the world to to go and do this because only, only education and you know crossing that um, crossing that uh, I guess taboo Rubicon will enable everybody to do this I know again you know it's it's it can be awkward I know when I've had totally. team members who have come to me as their boss and have said personal things about that happening in their life you, you don't really want to go there but actually we do need to go there and and I do think in our more modern environment and especially in our more modern work environment we know that we need to be having these conversations. We know that a man can't turn around anymore and say to his colleagues in a joking way, she's so moody, she must be on her period. Like that, 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 that sentence cannot exit a man's mouth anymore. In the 1970s, the 1980s, probably even in 2000, that may have been okay. It's a joke. And women, we were sort of, part of the problem also because we were also yes i've got my period yes i'm so moody today because those conversations don't happen anymore we can't have those conversations anymore we are in a different working environment today where yes a woman saying the word period may still make you feel uncomfortable but there are so many things that may make you feel uncomfortable in the workplace that we sort of have to get with the times in a way like 
we are, you know, in our mid late forties and we have to realize that we are in a slightly changing work environment. And we're thinking about, you know, team leaders or CEOs or directors of whoever who are older, who, yeah, this may be really uncomfortable for them. They are not used to this, but times are a changing and either you're going to get with it or you're going to be left behind. And I think that women's health conversations, as we said, women are a powerful, strong, vibrant, dynamic part of the population. And it would be such a shame to uh, dismiss them as irrelevant 50 plus because they had a few years where they needed some extra support. Jacqueline, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? I'm at Jacqueline Rose Women's Health all over the internet. So I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and I have my website. So Jacqueline Rose Women's Health and you will find me. Amazing. Look, Jacqueline, I've personally really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's, uh, for, for those listening, I hope going to be educational and informative and give everybody some inspiration to explore this more, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're a man, a woman, um, in whatever capacity that you can help uh, women in their journey. Um, I think you've, you know, really lifted the lid on a topic that uh, has probably been boiling for many, many years. And, um, you know, really well done to you for, for making this your, your life's mission, as you say. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me and starting the conversation within a very male-dominated uh, field. And I hope that other people really follow your lead and really, um, you know, take up that baton of, as you said, you know, knowing that women's health issues is something that we have to embrace rather than just ignore. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to Coffee with Curtis. I hope you enjoyed it. Please follow or subscribe to get notified when I release future episodes.